Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. These panels have been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and Metatopia 2021. Episode 336, Selling Globally in an Ever-Changing World, presented by Jordan Russell. All right. Hello, everyone. Happy Friday. Getting this kicked off today. Um, If you're sitting here in this room listening to me today, you're here to learn about selling globally in an ever-changing world. Um, So we're going to kind of talk about some terms that maybe you've heard before. So DDU, DDP, maybe you've heard some stuff about that that's kind of got you concerned. Um, So a lot of this today, I'm going to give a little intro on myself, and then we're going to kind of talk through some things, and then I'm going to leave a lot of this open for you guys to ask any questions that you have so that we can help your business um, grow as we get moving. So my name is Jordan Russell. Um, I am the manager of global sales and expansion for a 3PL called ShipBob. Um, Very big title, uh, and what it really means is I work with merchants, um, and I help them take their business, whether it's games, Um, cups, mugs, whatever it is, and go from whatever part of the world they're in and help them expand globally. If they're the United States, I kind of teach them like, hey, there's a world outside of these borders that would love to have your product. And we talk about different ways of how to get there. Um, So some of my experience um, previously from working at ShipBob, I was at UPS. Um, That's right, Big Big Brown, um, the delivery carrier we all see around the world. Um, And for them, I also did the same thing. I worked with merchants and I helped them grow their business and talk to them about the different things that they could do on a global scale. Um, Besides that, I've been in 10 plus years in the supply chain field. So any kind of shipping, uh, transportation questions you might have, I'll try to answer those as well if they pop up during this conversation. Um, And then I love to give a fun fact about myself. So I am captain of a LGBTQ uh, kickball team. Uh, We have playoffs this Sunday, so wish us luck. Five years as captain and no championship, so I would really like to bring home a trophy um, this coming Sunday. So I know not everyone is based in the United States, so a lot of the stuff that I'm going to talk about, I'm going to try to keep it similar as if I'm going from one country to another country. And then we're going to talk about some stuff around going from if you are in one and you want to start selling what it would be domestically in another country. So first up, I kind of talked to you guys some terms. You may have seen it. Oh, is there a question? Uh, more, I want to get some information in. Uh, my name is Anne Ratchet, and I am going to be serving as moderator today. Uh, for the purposes of keeping everything organized in chat, I'm going to ask if anybody does have a question that comes up, and please ask questions. Uh, start off by saying capital letters, question, and then your question, so we're able to identify them in chat if chat becomes active. Thank you so much. So let's get started. Perfect. Sorry about that, Ian. All right, guys. So kind of like what I said, I'm going to start talking to you about first just going international with your business. And what international means it's is shipping product from one country into another country. So a lot of times when you're starting on the small side and you're just getting looking to go from a, looking for a global markets, you're going to ship out what's called DDU. So shipping out your product delivered duties unpaid. And that's the most economical and cost effective way of getting your product 
from one country to another country. However, there's some downsides to that. One of them being what it means is that end customer of yours may receive that product and that carrier may hold out their hand and say, hey, I know you already bought this, but you need to pay some duties and taxes. Not a great customer experience, but it's a good way of getting started into an international market. From there, you're kind of going to grow and think internationally to a DDP kind of model, deliver duties paid. And what that means is you find some way on your website to calculate what's called landed cost. So you're going to take your product cost, someone's going to check out, I'm going to buy two games, put it in my shopping cart. And then upon checkout, it's going to calculate duties and taxes, calculate shipping, and I pay it all at once. And then once it's shipped, have to worry about as the end customer having someone ask for more money. So from that perspective, going global, those are your two options if you're leaving from your home country. Um, DDP obviously is going to be a better merchant experience, better customer experience. For us. Um, you're going to get less people calling, less people saying, where's my order? Why do I have to pay this? I don't want to pay this. Um, so that DDP really helps you start to grow your business in whatever market you want to focus on um, globally. So from there, you've started doing all these exports, these international shipments out of your home country, and you're thinking to yourself, man, I keep shipping like 50 orders a day to the UK. Is there a better way of like supplying my local customers there in the UK? And the answer is yes. Um, you can go about what's called registering with a VAT and an EORI number. And what that does, it allows you to start with being fulfilled within that home country. So you could ship goods somewhere to that home country and have someone like Amazon FBA, FBM fulfill for you. You could have a 3PL like what I work for, fulfill those orders for you as well inside those home countries. And what it does is it no longer has duties and taxes for that end merchant because you've paid them upon importation into that country. This is like where you've hit that big time lead. You've grown out of your own like local market and now you're tackling the UK market and you can start to market yourself on your website as being a local shipper, start gathering more like advertising things there and start moving your business um, into the UK and getting more sales. So in kind of the world of global, you kind of can always start small. You can always start with the DDU model, shipping delivered duties unpaid to anywhere in the world you want to go and kind of take yourself like little stair steps is what I look at it. Start there, it's the most economical, I'm growing my business, I'm getting some merchant complaints, so I'm going to start going DDP. And then once I start going DDP, I start to look at my sales and my traction and I say, man, I have a lot of stuff coming from the UK. Maybe I should think about registering for a UK VAT so I can be in that country and fulfill and ship domestically for them. Kind of today, I've kind of told you what you guys can do from like a global international perspective, but I really want to answer questions for you. So for me, this is kind of what I do on a daily basis. So any questions that you guys have, I'm here to happy to answer them. Um, and they can be about anything from transportation, supply chain, all the way up to how do I get my uh, business to go global. So let's start off with the question of when do I start thinking about taking my business to a global level? Are we having minor tech problems? Yeah, because I didn't hear what you, I can hear you now. Can you go ahead and say your thing again? It's uh, broken. So one of the most foundational questions for me is when do I start thinking about bringing my business to a global level? 
Oh, that's a really good question. Um, so I always tell this to any business starting out is you should always be thinking about growing your business globally. When you first start out with having your website or anything like that, you never want to turn merchants away, customers away. Because that's how you start to get into these local markets with your product. If one person buys it, plays with their friends, uses it with their friends, they're like, I want to purchase that. How do I get it? Um, so I always tell people, like, from the get-go, you want to open up yourselves to international orders. You just need to prepare yourself. So kind of what I talked about from that DDU, DDP, you just need to prepare your website to handle which way you're going to choose. If you do choose to just open up, you're like, I'm going to take what I get, and you do DDU, then you just let merchants in, like, the shipping FAQs or somewhere in your FAQs documents, and you say, hey, I'm going to ship this DDU, which means you may be responsible for any duties and taxes that are collected. You set this standard of communicating to them that's letting them know what could happen. Um, so, yes, I would say at any point in time, you want to go global. Do not wait. Do not think I can't do this. Don't be scared. Um, I have people a lot of time just say they're scared of shipping anywhere outside of their home country. Um, that happens a lot, and we take them through these baby steps that I've kind of outlined for you all already of starting small and then just gradually growing your business that direction. So one of the baselines in general uh, in the gaming world is our conventions. Uh, do you have any tips or tricks for getting your merchandise to a convention and getting your foot in the door there? Yeah, so here's so this is from my experience at UPS. So just so you all know, when you go to these conventions, and let's say it's outside your home country where you're traveling to, a lot of times that facility, the convention house, will not act as what's called an importer of record. So what that means is when I'm sending goods from one place to another, there's got to be someone on the other end that's going to take responsibility for that shipment in some way. Ways around that is shipping your product, making sure you're sending it DDP. So you've already paid for any duties and taxes that could come. Um, making sure that's done up front. So like the end receiver who would receive that product, which is usually a convention center, um, knows it's already paid for. They can receive it, hold it for you there. So that's a big one. A lot of times when I worked at UPS, people just ship it and didn't do that. And then that convention center hotels, we had this happen all the time, refused the shipment and it gets sent all the way back to your home country, which just at this point means you have nothing to show at this convention, um, which is like terrible for your business. So making sure you do a DDP, deliver duties paid when you're doing it. And then also there's specific stuff on the commercial invoice that can get around not paying duties and taxes at all. Um, you could put on there not for resale because you're, you're not selling these goods. You're just there may not be duties and taxes on that as well. Um, but overall, the best way to do it is making sure you send me and then also calling ahead to the convention center, or the hotel that's going to be at me like, hey, I have a package coming. Here's the tracking. Can you make sure just to hold it for me? Um, those are the best practices when you're shipping globally to places like that. Uh, so we have the uh, the shipping side of it considered. Uh, what advice do you have for the marketing side for getting your product to be noticed in a different market? So this is a really good question as well, and this comes up a lot. Um, you've got to put your marketing dollars behind it. So a lot of times when I talk to customers today, so for example, I had one today at work come to me and be like, hey, I really want to go to Canada. And I'm like, great. All right, here's what we have to do. Here's what we have to consider. You know, this is what your product needs to do. 
and I ask him at the end, I was like, how are you going to market it? Are you going to put any marketing dollars in that home country on any ad displays, any Google searches, Facebook ads? And they're like, no, I just want it to do organically. The problem when you do that organically in a country that's not your own is you're not going to get as many reps as a business that's already in that country. So you definitely want to make sure when you're going to be going to a global and you want to expand that you put some marketing dollars in behind that home country that you're going to. So for example, the customer I spoke to today, I was like, all right, well, if we're going to Canada, I can totally help you and we can do it organically. But if you do it, you're maybe not going to see your return on investment that you're looking for. You really need to make sure that you're going to put some marketing dollars there as well to make it successful for you in the end run. Um, so that's kind of what I tell people. If you're looking just to explore the international market, though, um, to see where your products would go, then, yeah, just open up your website, start tracking it, start seeing it. But once you make a commitment to wanting to focus on a market, you've got to put the dollars behind or you're just going to get the growth that a local business may get. And so let's say you are a small business um, selling about, let's say, uh, five to 10,000 units a year. Uh, what would you give an estimate of how much uh, funding for marketing would you expect for a small business? And then as you are growing? So that's a hard question. And so I think, Amy, you talked about this earlier, like your friend was in sales and they moved to marketing. So my realm is always sales and expansion. So I can't really give you guys the numbers of where you should be. But if you're selling like five to 10,000 units totally in a given year, it may be best that you don't focus on a certain market yet. Because you obviously haven't figured out where your market is. Now, let's say you're doing five to 10,000 units to a specific country then you've now determined which country you should go to. So now you're saying, I can go to Canada. Let's, let's just use that as an example. I can go to Canada. I'm going to start focusing on Canada. I've got 5,000, 10,000 units a year I'm selling there. So you need to put the same amount of marketing dollars that you would put here domestically into that as well when you're going into Canada. It just makes sense if you want to grow your business to the same level that you have it in your home country. Uh, so what are the big pitfalls of shipping internationally? All right, so this is a good one. The biggest one that I see all the time is not being upfront with your end customer. So you've not outlined on your website that how you're shipping it. So like if someone checks out on your website from I'm a US-based customer, I'm going to buy from the UK. I check out and I don't know that I've spent so much that I'm going to have duties and taxes and you've not told me on your website, I get the product come to my house someone's reaching out their hand like UPS and they're saying, hey, you owe another $100. And I'm like, what? I just paid $900 for this product and now you're going to ask me for another $100? So when you're going internationally, it is super critical to make sure your FAQs are updated on how you're going to ship the product to them. Letting them know that there could be duties and taxes upon delivery or you've partnered with somebody who can help you do that DDP landed cost on your checkout. You'll see plugins. If you're a Shopify merchant, you'll see plugins that can help you do the land cost calculator, currency conversions. So there's a lot of different products that you can do on the market today that you can use to plug into your website to give you that landed cost, currency conversion, to give that best customer experience to the international merchant. Um, that's probably one of those. Those are the biggest pitfalls people experience. Next thing that comes along is once you have decided to tackle a market 
and actually go there and fulfill from within a different country than your own is making sure you have all the tax registrations necessary to be within that country. Um, a lot of times people think I can just ship product there. I'll find someone to fulfill it for me and it's going to be fine. Send product and then they learn like, oh, why well, should have paid like UK? I should have paid VAT. I have to have duties drawback done. All these big level financial terms that are super scary when you find out after the fact. Um, so when you're ready to tackle a global market that's outside of your home country, it's very important to work with those countries' tax partners. Um, there's plenty of out there um, that can assist you in that. Avalara, simply that is a customer, is a merchant that can help you with all of that. And then they do the financial reporting for you as well. That's important. So it's a lot less work on you as a small business owner worrying about all the tax stuff that I would need once I'm ready to go outside my home country. We've talked a couple times about using uh, people inside the country to help with the DDP aspects. How do you identify somebody who would be a good match for your business? Well, that's a really good point. So you're always looking for someone who is going to be like a partner that's going to be up front like we're talking here today. So if you're looking to find someone who's going to fulfill your product for you in, let's say, the UK, let's say in Canada, Australia, wherever you want to go, it's good to make sure that you know enough information to ask the questions. So you're going to ask questions of like, hey, when I ship my product, who's responsible for helping me clear it through customs? Who's responsible for the duties and taxes? Um, do I need to register for any tax IDs in the country that you've established yourself in? So just knowing a little bit of background information can make you successful when you're reaching out to local fulfillment houses or others that could help you in those countries to fulfill your goods. Um, asking those up front, A, makes you come in with the expertise and then sets you up for success. So a lot of that is just coming in knowing that like, hey, I know I'm going to need to do this extra work. Are you able to help me or not? And then finding those partners that can help you do those and accomplish those things um, is very important. Uh, so one of the things that is talked about a lot on Kickstarter is the possibility of a scam where people invest money and then see nothing on the other side. Yeah. Are these scams as likely as we typically talk <laughs> about? So scams can happen anywhere. Um, a lot of times you're from the Kickstarter, I'm sure they've talked about it. Like if you see a lot of sales outside of your home country and like these people are supposedly putting funds for your game or product, your unit at the end of it, um, they're not as likely as you think, because at the end of the day, like if you ship the product there that they've already paid for, they've already paid for it up front. Um, the biggest part that comes in of like from an international or when you go like outside your home country um, and ship it somewhere on a Kickstarter is... A lot of times those scams are basically people not realizing that there's additional cost to have your product. So they're going to get it. It's going to arrive. Like we kind of talked about every from the beginning, guys, uh, is that they're going to have these duties and taxes that are potentially going to be paid because they didn't know up front. And so a lot of times they refuse the shipment. They're calling you saying that you misled them. So I wouldn't say there's much scams as just this communication up front was lacking in that area um so yeah i i don't know if it's overblown i can't say that i don't do the kickstarter uh but i would say like sometimes it's just a level of communication up front when you're doing kickstarters of letting them know if they're outside your country how they would receive the product how long it would take after a certain point 
and that duties and taxes part is like spot on. Um, I've participated in enough Kickstarters to see that here recently, a lot more people are being very upfront and ordering outside of like the home territory of saying the expectations. Um, so I think it's critical for anybody looking to do a Kickstarter is that you're clear on your expectations of what you would do for people outside the country that you're in. Uh, so if we're being explicit, uh, what are like Kickstarter itself has been pushing more and more. You are not guaranteed a uh, product with the amount of money that you are funding. They make you check a box in order to confirm that you understand this. Is there anything else you would like go out of your way to make sure shows up on the FAQ portion of international sales? Yeah, Just to be explicit. Yeah, I would call it out specifically. So let's take an example. I'm going to be a U.S.-based Kickstarter. I'm going to put on my explicit like FAQs on Kickstarter is like, if you order outside of the country, you will have to pay duties and taxes if applicable upon delivery. Shipping time will be an estimated 11 to 20 days because more than likely you're going to use your local post office to make that in delivery because it's the most cost effective. Um, and if you do those two things, clearly you're setting yourself up for success um, if people outside of your country are ordering. Um, and then also it's a good customer experience. So like if you do that and they get your product and they love it, they're obviously going to tell people about your product. And then hopefully that would generate more sales to your website, to whatever you do from after the Kickstarter takes place. Uh, are the POD outlets abroad in Europe or Australia uh, that we should know about? was the first part of that um are the pod outlets pod outlets pod outlets uh, we call it something different whoever asked that question can we get a can you kind of give us a clarification on it i can google while we're sitting here we do have a bit of a tech delay uh print on demand like labels uh, print and demand is a subset within the gaming industry okay. where you print the uh, you print the unit as demand asks for it. Oh, okay. All right. Learning something about the gaming community today. So um, where this comes into play is um, within the gaming community, you have a lot of companies that have their primary storefronts. So in the RPG realm where I ex exist, you have uh, both the... Uh, uh, indie Game Explosions, uh, IGX, um, or Indie Press Revolution is the name of it. Um, and so they will have copies of your game that they bring to cons and you pay them a small service fee in order to sell the games for you. Um, and so that's one of the primary ways of doing it. But on the other hand, sometimes there are like websites that specialize in having those uh, games that are ready to be printed, they're all good, um, but we don't have the unit, so you're paying for the thing to be printed uh, at that moment. Okay, so, makes sense, a print on demand. This is something I would not know, y'all. I'm very sorry, like this is not my question that I would know. Uh, yeah, sorry, like it's not my, because they're asking, the question was, Anne, like, do we have print-on-demand outlets in other countries, right? Is that what the question is? Yes. 
Yeah, so I can actually research that for y'all and come back and see like what other countries have these services. Um, and we can maybe send it out like later in an after email or something to let you guys know like what we've discovered. I can easily do that, um, no problem. Uh, so um, one of the things we talked about a little bit before is marketing. So I'm wondering if we can redirect a little bit about less about shipping and more about how to set up marketing abroad, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so this is all gonna depend on which country you're gonna go to. So you wanna make sure we're gonna be using local things that are prevalent in the country that you're gonna be in. So for example, a lot of times we talk about it on my end of like, what platform or marketplaces are popular in that home country. So looking if I'm going to be in that country, should I sell on those marketplaces or not? And if so, which ones are more prevalent? A lot of times, like the big ones are out there in play. We know that there's like the eBay marketplace, and then there's obviously the big giant out there, which is Amazon. Um, but as you go to different countries, it depends. So like in Australia, Amazon's not as big as actually eBay is. So like they kind of flip flop back and forth. So like Amazon's kind of gaining traction, but eBay was there first and has this a lot of uh, what they're doing there is like more prevalent. Um, but we do see Amazon coming up from behind and uh, I'll show you very quickly as we are seeing everywhere else in the world. Um, so it's crucial when you're looking to market, you're looking to market on the right platforms or you're looking to market on the right things. So like if you use Facebook in the United States and you're using Facebook ads, but like you're going to be in a country like, let's say, Brazil, for example, that not a lot of people are on Facebook. You've wasted marketing dollars on being on Facebook ads inside of that country. So the important thing is when you're looking to go and start marketing in these countries is you do your back research to say which platforms, which services are these merchants, these customers in that country using and then going and marketing on those. Um, it varies wherever you're wanting to go. So I'm trying to give you guys just a general uh, understanding of what you should do to kind of prepare yourself. Uh, do you personally have experience working with Amazon to ship products? So I worked at UPS before I worked at my current company. I've never worked with Amazon directly. I understand what the, of getting to those FBA, F, those fulfilled by Amazon facilities in other countries. Um, you need to make sure that when you're doing that and working with Amazon, that they provide you a routing guide. And what that means, it's going to tell you how to get the products to their facilities around the world. You need to do it and follow it to the letter of what they need to do. Um, I had a lot of times when I was working with customers at UPS, they didn't follow the routing guide. They would send stuff to Amazon in another country um, and not do it correctly. And Amazon will refuse it. They will say they won't take it. They will not allow it into the facility. It sits there. You start to get warehousing fees, storage costs, until eventually you have to determine if it's cheaper to send it back to you, which a lot of times it's very expensive to send product back to you when it's coming from an import standpoint. Um, or do I just dispose of it? Um, so when working with Amazon and like signing up, We seem to be having a slight technology issue. 
Apologies for this. Okay. All right. So it seems like we are back together now. Um, okay. So Sorry we're about talking that. about uh, getting the units returned back. Yeah. Okay. So when you're doing the Amazon, so what's going to happen at the end is, let's say you've not followed it, it gets there. You're going to have two choices at that point once you've sent your product to the Amazon warehouse outside of your home country. You either dispose of the product, which is a waste of the units that you've spent, or you pay for it to come back. Um, and a lot of times that can be more expensive than the shipment cost outbound to the facility. Um, so you need to make sure that you've done everything that Amazon requires in that country to get product there. That is very important. I can't stress that enough. Um, and don't feel bad if you make a mistake. Always reach out for help when you're doing those kind of shipments. If you're whoever your partner that you're using, whether it's a freight partner, whether it's UPS, DHL, FedEx, whoever's moving your product, um, that you work with them up to the beginning of making sure everything is done correctly on a commercial invoice, which that's commercial invoice. I should have explained that. That's what tells uh, customs what your product is and its value. So it clears through customs. Um, so make sure it's done correctly with ever who's doing the freight movement of your goods, just so you don't come into a situation where Amazon's rejected it because it wasn't done correctly um, and the product has to be disposed of or returned. Um, and don't feel bad when you're asking these questions to your transportation partners. They know it. They should be able to assist you. Um, and they're more than happy to answer because they want you to have a good experience with them as well. So from what I have learned, we'll take this for what it is. Um, Amazon has their own listing codes. And then there are formalized like shipping codes for products. And there's been debate of which one of these do you want? Because if you have an Amazon code, you only have an Amazon code and therefore can only sell on Amazon versus the other one requires a whole bunch more paperwork that allows you more outlets other than Amazon if you so decide to go that way. So do you have any weight on which one of these, uh, what you would consider going for purely an Amazon route versus the more complicated route? Yeah, so we're talking about these HTS codes, correct? So like these codes that define what your product is. Um, so when we're looking at it, Amazon's maybe going to give you or provide you with some codes that they're going to be using for your customs clearance. And like, you're going to want to use what, if you're going to be selling on Amazon, you're going to be wanting to use what Amazon probably is suggesting to you. Um, I say that just from like experience of like with Amazon, a lot of the times you need to, you need to do what you're being told from that perspective because it's going to be a better experience for you. When you're going to look to do your own shipments outside of Amazon for your product, I would take the the time to research your own I would broker can help you do it. Um, they're like 10 digit long. And as you get more, you're going to see a lot of times the first six digits are pretty much universal. It's those last four that can kind of determine like your product, like, so, for example, if your game is cards, but your cards are made out of cloth instead of paper, 
it would be more specific because you may get a better uh, and tax code into your country when you're importing or exporting if you give the accuracy of what that product is actually made of. Um, and there's tons of sites that can do it. There's one on ups.com that's for free where you can go and look up your codes, get really granular on what those numbers are, and you can look them up by country matchup. So you can look up that code based upon US to Germany or Germany to Canada, and you can kind of really see what those HTS codes would be for your product. Um, that's my recommendation, always getting to be the most specific as possible and doing your research on it. Um, so a lot of times don't, when you manufacture, gives you a code that's on your clearance for your clearance documents into your country, check it out and see if you can find a better one. Um, I always recommend doing that. Do a little research yourself. Super easy online. Tons of websites. Every government, most, I shouldn't say every. I've learned never say every. Most governments are going to have it on their website for you all to look at anyways. So take a look at it. Find those codes that are specific for you. But yeah, like I would highly recommend if Amazon's giving you something for it, you probably should use that for Amazon. Do you have experience with uh, translating products? Ooh, okay. Uh, so no, I don't have experience personally translating products, but I do have merchants that we have to talk about like translating their goods. Um, so this kind of comes into play a lot of times when you're gonna be in a different country outside of your home country, selling your goods in a different language than your country is in. The best practice is to make sure that you've translated your product or put some kind of um, insert into it in the language of the home country you're in. Um, there is some caveats around that. Certain actually re require you to have it in their home country's language when going there. So you need to be careful when you're doing that and making sure when you're working with, for example, if you're gonna be in that country, Whoever your tax partner is that's helping you set up your tax IDs can also provide you the business information of saying, hey, yes, I'm going to be going to Canada. And we recommend and say if you're going to be in Canada and you have any B2B sales that may happen, it is suggested by law that you have French and English on your packaging. Um, so that's something to consider and something you should work on with whoever's helping you from your tax advice of getting set up in that country. They'll easily tell you what's required from a translation standpoint. And yes, I highly recommend that you do it. It makes you more successful in that country too. So if it's going to take a lot of time or work or effort for you to do it, maybe just start with just shipping exports from there instead of actually being in that country. So would, would there ever be any benefit for not translating a product? There wouldn't be a benefit per se, but you're not going to, you're also not hurting yourself by not translating either, unless you're not translating into a language that's native to the country that you're selling in. Like the United States, if you're going to send a product in the United States and it's in Spanish, you probably need it translated in case like the person receiving it doesn't speak that language. Um, that could be like not maybe, that'd be the downfall of not having translations. So like making sure your product, wherever it's shipping can be well known um, would be like my biggest caveat, I should say. Um, so you just gotta be careful. I mean, that would be the biggest thing, making sure that it's going to a country that they can understand the language you've been printed in. And if not, once again, that's something that you need to provide on your FAQs. I can't stress enough how important FAQs are just for your sanity as a business owner. 
Um, and then also for your merchants, customers, uh, sanity as, as well. Um, so if you're not able to translate it and it's in whatever language it is, I would make sure you call it out on your FAQs. Um, I know I've said a lot today about FAQs, but I can't tell you how important they are. Um, people really do look at them. Maybe you don't think they do, but people do. Like a, They want to make sure the product that they're getting is what they're getting. We talked a little bit about market research earlier, but I was hoping we could expand a little bit more. Um, so let's start off with just the very basics. What is market research? So market research is kind of looking at the country that you're going to be going into and seeing how those buyers perform. So we're looking to see like how that country's purchasing power is. What do they, are they similar to your country? So for example, I'm going to give this example from market research that we've looked at from where I work at today is, is the buyer in the UK very similar to the buyer in the US? Answer is yes, but no. So we've had to kind of change our structure a little bit on how we sell within the UK versus how we sell within the US. US is very, very time sensitive on when they want to get their goods. So the market research here says I need the two day shipping. We all know the Amazon effect. I need to get it. But in the UK, a lot of the times, a lot of them we've experienced from the market research that we've done is that they're willing to wait a little bit longer for their product. And they don't necessarily need it if it's a lower priced item, need a tracked delivery service. So what that means is when you're shipping your product, a tracked or untracked um, means track, I'm going to see trackability. I'm going to know every stage of the, I'm going to know where it's at at any point across the whole process. Untracked means I know it's shipped, I have an estimated date of arrival, it should get there around that time and I'm cool to do it. So market research from that perspective, from a trans show us like, like how we need to buy, what products, what service levels we need to provide in that country. Market research for you all might be like, this country doesn't do well with this type of game. Like they don't wanna sit around playing a game for, that's gonna take a lot of setup for four hours. They don't want to play a game um, that, on the opposite, that's too quick, that's too easy. So market research for you as like a gaming community would be like, where's my product going to fit best? Um, so I know which countries I should go after. How do you go about finding a market research company or other information that would be relevant market research? So a lot of times this is going to come back to paying for like a marketing agency to look into this. Um, I know from like a lot of this stuff is like small to medium sized businesses that we're looking at. And sometimes you don't have that capital to spend. Um, there's plenty of things that where you can Google. You can Google like uh, merchant buying power is a keyword that you can look at in the country you want to go to. Merchant trends in the country that you want to look to. Get a general idea of like, especially in like the toy gaming electronic field. Um, you can find trends online that can kind of lead you towards a certain market that might be good for you. But overall, you're going to be better finding a marketing agency that can market research and provide you this data, a consultant. You'd want to look for a consultant. So how would you find that consultant? Really good question. So we have some partners that we reference off. Um, and I can send out some links maybe after this call. I think you guys, I'm sure there's like thing. And we can send out some links of how to find certain marketing research um, companies and how to like utilize them. So I can get that for you all. Okay, so it sounds like there's a couple of like, particularly in the UK, there's a couple of like reliable sources that do the bulk of it. Yeah, in any country, there's going to be reliable people telling you what's the trend of that country, where's like good selling times. So for example, I know um, in China and Australia, there's something called Singles Day. 
uh, which sounds like, well, that sounds cool, but it's a huge buying day. It almost surpasses Black Friday as a buying day in those countries. So market research has shown like you probably need to do some marketing campaigns around this day. So people are purchasing your product for singles day. Um, and it's coming up soon too. So like that's something to think about like when you're looking at it. There's every country has specific days that they buy. So the UK has Boxing Day. Boxing Day is a huge selling day for the UK or a deal day, I should say. Deals come out. Um, so that's something to kind of look into as well. So this is more specific to gaming, um, but I talked about the importance of conventions previously. Uh, one of the things we've seen is with conventions internationally is that there are different expectations about what they are. In America, conventions tend to be very social, but versus in Korea, uh, for various reasons, uh, people will go to conventions with friends, not expecting to meet anyone, just to play at a game and then like go about the rest of their day, pretty much. Um, so do you have any advice on finding specialized marketing research or marketing advice for these convention patterns? That's a really good question. Um, a lot of this stuff is generated by cultural norms as well. So that's something maybe it's not necessarily a marketing research of what I should expect from this convention. It's also knowing what cultural norms are happening in these countries. Um, so that's a real, you've called out something that's like very cultural to that country. So you need to be aware of it. And it kind of goes back to as well of like what's important to that consumer in Korea or in another country like that. Um, don't have specific marketing research, but this is a lot of stuff that you're going to see, like marketing trends. When you Google stuff about buying power, buying trends, it's going to talk to you about what merchants expect from that country, how fast, what kind of product are they looking for. Um, and usually these, you can pay for the guides and we're, I'll find some ones to send out like you guys can look at. Um, but the best that I have for that. Sorry. <laughs> And so I think we're going to wrap up with one last question before we do our outro. Um, and so I think, uh, can we just quickly do what you think are the big takeaways from everything we've done today? Yeah, so a couple of the big takeaways for y'all. I definitely think no matter the size of your business, no matter what you're doing, you need to think globally. You need to think like, how can I get my product to anywhere in the world? Um, so you need to be prepared for that. You'll have people read check if they can have your product um, if you don't allow them to check it on your website. So a lot of times that's a big thing, allowing someone to purchase your product and just making sure you outline the rules and everything for it, I think are very critical when you're going um, globally or internationally. Um, I think the next big things are making sure you understand how to ship internationally. So DDU, knowing that the end customer is going to have to pay potential duties and taxes. GDP, I've done something on my website that's allowed them to pay it all up front and they're going to have the best merchant experience outside of buying from their home country. And then finally looking at, I've generated enough sales, enough units for that country. I'm going to look to go there. I'm going to be looking to start looking for tax IDs, making sure I find the right partners in that country that can fulfill for me. Um, so those are the biggest takeaways um, from the transportation and the shipment of your goods. The next part is making sure you do your research on the country you're going to. Don't just assume that you had five shipments to that country like, man, this is really going to be helping me out here. I need to go to this country and then start this process of A, being in that country, spending marketing dollars behind it, 
when maybe that was just a niche amount of people who bought your product. Um, so making sure you do some due diligence on researching the countries you want to go into. And that's it. And I think you'll be all be successful selling your product anywhere in the world that you want to. Um, people are always looking for goods that are different, unique, something special that they can't get. And if they can get it and have a good time, they're willing to pay for it. Um, so don't be scared from international customers. Don't think everyone who comes across is scamming you. Um, people really do want to have your product if they really value it and see what you've provided. I'm going to throw in one like kind of a joke question, but it's not actually fully a joke. Um, <laughs> the joke within movie industry is make your posters orange and blue because for whatever reason, there's a correlation of orange and blue posters and increased box office sales on the first weekend or something like that I've seen. So if you're putting together marketing materials, any opinions on the color scheme? Oh, well, my favorite colors are green and blue. So I would definitely say green or blue. And then also <laughs> that's the color of the world. So maybe when you want to go global, green or blue is the best way to go to show people that you're. Okay. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you all. Oh, go ahead, Ann. Where can we find you? So um, you can find me. Uh, you can email me at any time if you want it out. Totally take emails. I won't think you're a scammer. Just make sure that you told me where I've met you, where you heard from me. Don't just write me an email being like, hey, Jordan, and I'll, no, not who you are. Um, but you can reach me on jordanwrussell at gmail.com. can answer any questions. And then if you're looking for some help with fulfilling your goods, you can come over and over and talk to us at ShipBob, um, ShipBob.com. Sounds like an easy name. Can't forget it. Um, and then when you're filling out a form, just tell them that you talked to Jordan Russell or you saw us at the convention, and we can connect that way as well. I'm here to help and anything that you guys need, any questions. So please don't hesitate to reach out. Very nice. Not, I don't bite, so I'm more than happy to help. Cool. Thank you so much. Awesome. Cool. Thank you all.